We all have to construct the life that's right for us. There is no one best way. There's no magic one size fits all solution because like what works for you isn't gonna be what works for me because you and I are different. And so if we wanna be happier, healthier, more productive, more creative, it's like, okay, well, what kind of person are you? Where do you thrive? What works for you? And not to try to jam ourselves into somebody else's conception of what we should be able to do or what is the best thing to do. It's like, it doesn't matter what works for somebody else or what you should be able to do. It's like, it only matters what works for you. You don't have to feel bad about yourself. You just have to figure out how to work with yourself. The upside is the downside. The strength is the weakness. It just depends on sort of what the context is. That's Gretchen Rubin, and this is The Ritual Podcast. Hey everybody, how you guys doing? What's happening? My name is Rich Roll. In case it was not already immediately apparent, I am your host. This is my podcast. Welcome to it. Thanks for dropping by. Today, I sit down with the amazing Gretchen Rubin. Uh, Gretchen is a former lawyer turned Uber author and blogger. She is somebody who has sold over 3 million books on the subject of habits, happiness, and human nature. You may know Gretchen from her runaway bestseller, The Happiness Project, or one of her many other titles, which include Happiness at Home and Better Than Before, or from her wildly popular blog at GretchenRubin.com. Well, Gretchen has a new book out. It's called The Four Tendencies. It's an amazing read. It basically parses fundamental personality types based upon how we as humans respond to one singular question. How do you respond to expectations? In other words, what motivates you? How do you go about doing what you claim you want to do? And extrapolating from this and supported by a huge data set based on a simple quiz that she constructed that has been taken by millions of people, which you too can take. I'll put the link up to that in the show notes. Gretchen discovered that pretty much everybody falls into one of four general tendencies. And when you understand your tendency, It changes how you see yourself, how you relate to others and the world around you, and how you better structure your life to consistently meet the expectations that you set for yourself and, in turn, support the life experience that you seek. And it is this terrain that we will be exploring today. Uh, Fast Company named Gretchen Rubin to its list of most creative people in business. She's a member of Oprah's Super Soul 100. And she's also the host, along with her sister, TV writer Elizabeth Kraft, of the wildly popular Happier with Gretchen Rubin podcast, which was named to iTunes' list of best podcasts of 2015 and in the Academy of Podcasters' best podcasts of 2016. I didn't even know that there was an Academy of Podcasters. I guess I should know that, but I didn't. In any event, Gretchen is also the creator of Better, which is a free app where you can connect with others to harness the four tendencies to create a better life. We're brought to you today by recovery.com. I've been in recovery for a long time. It's not hyperbolic to say that I owe everything good in my life to sobriety. And it all began with treatment and experience that I had that quite literally saved my life. And in the many years since, I've in turn helped many suffering addicts and their loved ones find treatment. And 
With that, I know all too well just how confusing and how overwhelming and how challenging it can be to find the right place and the right level of care, especially because unfortunately, not all treatment resources adhere to ethical practices. It's a real problem, a problem I'm now happy and proud to share has been solved by the people at recovery.com who created an online support portal designed to guide, to support and empower you to find the ideal level of care tailored to your personal needs. They've partnered with the best global behavioral health providers to cover the full spectrum of behavioral health disorders, including substance use disorders, depression, anxiety, eating disorders, gambling addictions, and more. Navigating their site is simple. Search by insurance coverage, location, treatment type, you name it. Plus, you can read reviews from former patients to help you decide. Whether you're a busy exec, a parent of a struggling teen, or battling addiction yourself, I feel you. I empathize with you. I really do. And they have treatment options for you. Life in recovery is wonderful, and recovery.com is your partner in starting that journey. When you or a loved one need help, go to recovery.com and take the first step towards recovery. To find the best treatment option for you or a loved one, again, go to recovery.com. Meditation has been a recurring theme on this podcast, dating back to its beginnings. And in conversation always leads people to asking me about the best way to begin. There are no shortage of modalities of resources and apps available. I have experience with many of them, but my mainstay, I have to say, the one that I have found most useful is waking up. It's this unique treasure trove of wisdom that has become so important to my daily routine that the app finds itself right in the dock of my phone for immediate fingertip access. Beyond its robust catalog of daily meditations, it's also this extraordinary library of mindfulness resources that go well beyond the strictures of meditation with courses on stoicism, cognitive behavioral therapy, time management, procrastination, as well as thoughtful conversations with leading scholars on everything from psychedelics to happiness. It really is one of the most worthy investments you can make in yourself. And listeners of the show can get 30 days to try waking up for free. Plus, you'll save $30 on the in-app price. If price is a concern, waking up offers the app for free, astonishingly for anyone who can't afford it. You can find the links on their website to get a full scholarship right now. Just go to wakingup.com slash richroll to start your free month today. That's wakingup.com slash richroll. I'm super proud to announce my next venture, Voicing Change Media. This beautiful consortium of thinkers, storytellers, artists, and visionaries all committed to fostering meaningful exchanges and sharing thought-provoking content. Voicing Change Media will feature shows like The Proof with Simon Hill, Soul Boom with Rain Wilson, Mentor Buffet with Alexi Pappas, Feel Better Live More with Dr. Rangan Chatterjee, and The Conversation with Amanda Decadene. You can explore this network and all its offerings at voicingchange.media. Okay, Gretchen Rubin. Gretchen was great. I met up with her at her sister's office on the Disney lot, which was cool. I love going to movie studios. And this one is packed with super helpful, amazing takeaways. 
We track her previous career in law. Uh, and to give you an idea of how accomplished Gretchen is, she was editor-in-chief of the Yale Law Journal before clerking for Sandra Day O'Connor and then serving as chief advisor to the chairman of the FCC. Like She had a huge career in law and then walked away from it all to become a writer, which is kind of an amazingly courageous leap of faith, which obviously worked out for her. Uh, we talk about how her revelation about expectations led her to write the four tendencies. And we then unpack these four tendencies, tracking how they can inform our habits, our patterns, our communication, and how we fundamentally structure our lives. And I learned a lot about myself in this one. It's already helping me reframe certain aspects of how I approach myself and others, and I think you guys are going to really enjoy it. Uh, one final note before we get into it, as you may recall, a couple months ago, I put the word out on this podcast looking for a filmmaker to help create a visual arm to the work that I do. Well, I think I found my guy. His name is David Zamet. He is a young and quite talented photographer, editor, and filmmaker hailing from Malta, and our collaboration has already begun. Last week, we posted a short film called Let's Celebrate. And today, we just posted a video that takes you behind the scenes of this very podcast with Gretchen, essentially how I bake the bread, so to speak. Uh, and our intention is to create at least a few videos every single week going forward, including eventually filming entire podcasts. We've got to kind of solve that equation. We're looking into it. We have filmed a couple already. And we're trying to figure out if they're worthy of putting up because we don't have the editing all dialed in yet. This is all an experiment that's kind of unfolding in real time. In any event, you can find all of this content on my YouTube page at youtube.com forward slash rich roll. So check it out. And if you enjoy it, please uh, subscribe to the channel. I'd appreciate it. All right. Let's talk to Gretchen. So it's an absolute delight to finally meet you. I'm just, I'm so excited to talk to you. Thank you for making the time. Oh, I'm so happy to be talking to you. It's great to see you face to face. I'm glad that the person who is the forward facing uh, person of happiness is happy. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. And I feel uh, very entertainmenty doing this over at Disney. Yes. Which we're, is cool. We're in Burbank, California. We are. Yeah. Fancy Burbank. Uh, and we have a ton of mutual friends, a lot of my favorite people. I know our friends of yours, Chris Gillibo, yes. Jonathan Fields, yes. I adore those guys. Lewis introduced us, yes. of course. Yeah. I'm going to see Chris tomorrow night, actually. Ex or no, Wednesday night. Terrific, and yeah, I'm yeah. seeing him Monday. Oh, cool. Yeah. All right. Well, it's a big Chris love fest. Yes, it is. It always is. Um, there's so many things I want to talk to you about. Of course, the new book, we're going to unpack all of the archetypes that you have that you have determined that are helping so many people. But I think one, what I wanted to kind of explore a little bit with you first, um, myself being a recovering lawyer, mm -hmm. now a writer and a yeah. podcaster. Yeah, there's I'm, a lot of us. Do people ask you about how you transitioned out of this law practice you went? Because I mean, you weren't just some lawyer. I mean, you had like a big career in law, Supreme Court clerk and yeah. FCC, and there's a whole trajectory built into that. Yeah, it's interesting. In in hindsight, it all feels very simple, but um, I'm sure it wasn't as simple at the time. But mm -hmm. you know, I I was I had started working on researching a subject that just absolutely had me obsessed, which was power, money, fame, sex. Like this, I, I was like, what am I interested in the world that everybody else is interested in? 
power money fame sex and so i was like struck by wanting to do massive amounts of research on that subject which is something you mean just in your free time yes in my free while time you were at clerking. the fcc oh, no you I, was, were clerking? I was clerking right. yes because you uh, had so much free time well then, right? it's funny because yeah i mean you think oh gosh all i did all day was read and write and then i would go home and read and write um and uh but and I often get obsessed with subjects. This is something that's happened to me my whole life. But I just it just kept getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And finally, it occurred to me, you know, this is something that some people do as a job. They don't just do it in their free time. Mm-hmm. Um, and maybe I could do it as my work. And um, and that feeling sort of grew and grew. And until I was until I realized, you know, I'd rather fail as a writer than succeed as a lawyer. So I should try it and see if I can succeed or fail. I need mm-hmm. to put it to the test. Um, and I think I was lucky because I don't know about you and the people that you know, maybe who've transitioned out of law or out of anything. Sometimes people know where they want to leave, but they don't know yet where they want to go. And yeah. so they have to figure out where to go. And that's hard. That was me. Yeah. But so I was lucky because I had this project that was pulling me so hard. I, I wanted, it wasn't so much that I wanted to leave law, but that I just wanted to, to devote myself to this writing project in, in you know, totally. And but it's so, not exactly like there was a, a, you know, a clear cut path as to how that was going to work out. Well, you know what I did is I went to the bookstore and I bought a book. I don't remember the exact title, but it was called something like how to write and sell your nonfiction book proposal. Uh-huh. So I bought the book and followed the directions. <laughs> Uh-huh. Um, uh, that book was maybe that was the best money you ever spent. Probably <laughs> right, and I don't even remember the title. Yeah, you're right. It's true. It's funny. Um, I just did what it said. And 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 so was you. But you you wrote these biographies. For, those came first. No, so they, Power, or? Money, Fame, Sex was uh-huh. my first book. Okay. And then I wrote two biographies. Yeah, good memory. Um, one of Winston Churchill, one of uh, JFK, and I wrote a, a strange little book called Profane Waste. Mm-hmm. Um, and sometimes people look at those earlier books and think, oh, wow, they look so different from the books that I wrote, wrote like The Happiness Project or The Four Tendencies. But really, my subject is human nature. That's what I'm always thinking about and writing about. So to me, all my books feel very unified, um, even if they don't look that way from the outside. Right. It's human behavior. Yes. You're unpacking human behavior, yes. trying to sort of go behind the curtain yeah. in what motivates people. And and looking at someone like Winston Churchill, for instance, he's such an exaggerated figure. He's so enormous that you can see human nature more clearly because he just casts such a such a tremendous shadow. Right. Yeah. As does JFK. As does JFK. Yeah. yeah. Of course. Yeah. I just saw the grassy knoll for the first time when I was in Dallas for my book tour. And I was like, oh my gosh, here it is. Here it is. Wow. Yeah. But what do you think what's behind this desire this impulse this drive to to you know really delve deep into human behavior like what where, where do you think that's coming from I, it's always been a subject that's fascinated me my whole life but i didn't i sort of didn't isolate it as a subject it just seemed to me like the thing that every that was most interesting in the world mm-hmm. um and it took me a while to realize that that's what i was researching um and and in ha- trying to figure out trying to look at it from every different angle and trying to penetrate the mysteries of right. who we are and when you were at the FCC, was that your last law job? That was my that last was. law so, job. That was, and you're like, I'm gonna walk away from this and I'm gonna write a book now. I mean, yep. how was that received by your by your coworkers? Well, you know, it was interesting. I, what was more interesting, what was probably more influential to me was like, how did my, my friends, my family, and my husband um, think about it? And I was really lucky because first of all, my husband was making a transition at the same time. We were going to mm-hmm. move from Washington, D.C. to New York. He was, I, we met in law school. He was working, he was also working at the FCC 
totally coincidentally. And he was going to go into finance. So we were both going to make the change together. We were going to move to a new city and we were going to start new careers. So that was really good. And I remember the day when we got a notice from the New York Bar Association. And I said to him, are we going to pay our bar fees? Just kind of hedge our bets. <laughs> right. And he's like, no, because yeah. it's expensive to pay your bar I fees. Know. So he's like, no, we're not. I'm like, okay, we're really we're really doing this. We're not paying our bar fees. Um, that's when it becomes real. I remember a, I remember when I got that right? email and I was like, I'm not doing it. I'm yeah. cutting that cord. Yeah, I'm cutting it. But you find out later that if you just like pay your back fees and like, you know, you can pretty they much do it. They still send me stuff all the time. Do they? It's like, like hello. Every, every nine years we get some kind of weird <laughs> warning letter which i just I right you're in trouble I, yeah yeah you're, you're not in good standing I, I think i paused it or did something i don't know um but i was really lucky because everybody who was closest to me was very tolerant of me taking a big risk um and i think uh i think i would have done it anyway but it would have been much more difficult if everybody had really been saying like oh it's not a safe bet and it's such a tough career and you've right put so much time and effort and money into it and you know given you know you have all these options now but they were really like you know if this is what you want to do okay now and my sister my younger sister elizabeth um was already working as a professional writer so i was lucky in that somebody very close to me was already a professional Mm -hmm. writer and so i think that that also played a role in my willingness to take a risk that's cool to have that level of support. I it mean, was. it could have gone the other way. I mean, you yes. could have a sibling who's like, what do you mean you're going to be a writer? Like, that's my thing. That's true. And and also, I see people often, from the deepest sense of love, try to protect people from failure and risk. And so to mm-hmm. say, do the safe thing. Don't risk failure. Don't risk being embarrassed. Don't, mi- don't risk like not being able to get a job take the safe path. But the fact is there is no safe path. Like so many people do things thinking that they're safe and then those things blow up, you know? Right, and and the, the lawyers are those safety seekers, right? Yeah. So these are the people that are that are seeking out that that supposedly, that, that elusive, more secure route. And look, man, it's tough. You know, when yeah. you're going to New York, oh, well, there's Davis Polk and there's, yeah. you know, they're dangling huge paychecks in front of you. And, and having clerked for Sandra Day O'Connor, I mean, you've, could have done whatever you wanted to do. Well, it's, I had an interesting experience. And so now, because I write about happiness and sort of self-knowledge all the time, one of the questions that I that I suggest to people, if you want to increase your self-knowledge, because it's hard to know ourselves, surprisingly hard. One question I say, I often suggest is, whom do you envy? Because when you think about whom you envy, then you're like, that person is something that you want. And maybe you could get that for yourself, mm-hmm. you know, but often we don't want to admit to ourselves what we really want. And one of the things for me was that when I would read the alumni notes from my law school, when I read about people who had really cool law jobs, I felt like a kind of mild interest. And when I read about people who had cool writing jobs, I felt sick with envy. Ah. So I thought, well, they... Like, I guess that's what I really wish that I had, because that's what I really envy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a good that's a good litmus test. You yeah, know, I, I, it's I painful. I definitely can relate to that. It's painful to admit to envy. Yeah. Well, it's baked into us as human beings, I suppose. Yeah. So let's get into the, the tendencies. Yeah. I took, I took the quiz, Ooh, by the way. Okay. Not that I didn't already kind of know where, I, you know, how I, how it would work out for me. Yeah. But I think we're going to get along swimmingly because I'm definitely an upholder. All right. We're rare, a yeah. rare breed. So we can like, you know. Get into pat it. each other on the back yeah. or whatever. <laughs> but uh, I think I have a light dusting of, of, uh, of rebel in me. Mm-hmm. But I also have, first, by the way, 
I'm going to use this as like a personal counseling session. Excellent, too. I love that. It's my favorite thing. (laughs) Okay, good. Uh, A light dusting of Rebel, but also a a definite strain of people pleasing Mm -hmm. that when I was kind of going through the tendencies and trying to understand them and these, these four archetypes felt a little bit at odds with being an upholder. Mm. So I don't know, but maybe even before answering that, we should describe what we're talking about. Yeah, yeah. So the four tendencies are whether you're an upholder, a questioner, obliger, or rebel. So you and I are both upholders. Mm -hmm. Um, So, and this has to do with how you respond to expectations. And all of us face two kinds of expectations. So there's outer expectations like meeting a work deadline, Uh, meeting a request from a friend. And then there's inner expectations. So your own desire to keep a New Year's resolution, your own desire to start um, lifting weights again. So upholders readily meet outer and inner expectations. They meet the work deadline, they keep keep the New Year's resolution without much fuss. They wanna know what other people expect from them and meet those expectations, but their expectations for themselves are just as important. Mm -hmm. Then questioners. Questioners question all expectations. They'll do something if they think it makes sense. So they make everything an inner expectation. If it meets their inner standard, yeah, this makes sense, then they will do it, no problem. If it fails their inner standard, they will reject it. Um, They tend to hate anything arbitrary, inefficient, uh, unjustified. So they always wanna know why they should do something. Then there are obligers. Obligers readily meet outer expectations, but they struggle to meet inner expectations. And I got my insight into this when a friend of mine said, I don't understand it. I really wanna go running. And when I was in high school, I was on the track team and I never missed track practice. So why can't I go running now? Mm -hmm. Well, when she had a team and a coach waiting for her, she had no trouble showing up. But when she was just trying to go on her own, she struggled. And then finally, rebels. Rebels resist all expectations, outer and inner alike. They wanna do what they wanna do in their own way, in their own time. If you ask or tell them to do something, they are very likely to resist. And typically they don't even like to tell themselves what to do. Like they wouldn't sign up for a 10 a.m. yoga class because they're like, I don't know what I'm gonna wanna do at 10 a.m. So those are the four tendencies. Now, you and I are upholders and that's pretty unusual because the biggest tendency for both men and women, the one the biggest number of people belong to, is obliger, that's big. Second to them is questioner, also very big. Rebel is the smallest tendency. It's it's the longest chapter in the book, but it's the smallest mm-hmm. tendency. It's the one the fewest people belong to. But our tendency, a polar tendency, only slightly larger. Those are the two kind of extreme polar uh, tendencies, and they're they're pretty small. Not that many people are a rebels or a polars. Right. So before we uh, get into the particulars of these four different personality types and the pros and the cons and and kind of what we're supposed to do with this information. How did you arrive at this? Like, how did it dawn upon you? Is this the result of just a continuing pursuit into the depths of what makes people tick? Did you have like an epiphany? Did it come to you slowly? Well, both. Um, I started picking up these patterns. So my friend said that thing about the track team and that really got me thinking like, well, what's going on? Because it's the same person, it's the same behavior. Like why was it at one time effortless and now she can't do it? And let me just interrupt you to ask you this. When you hear that as an upholder, what is your reaction when somebody tells you that? Well, see, that's what's interesting. And that's why I think it was an advantage to me to be an upholder in figuring out this framework. Because to me, I was like, I don't understand that. Yeah. That didn't make, like, I'm like, Just huh. get on with it. Yeah, yeah. it's like, I'm like, that's interesting because I don't experience that. And also uh, people were saying other things that I was like, I don't experience that. So like, when I would talk to people about New Year's resolution, because I wrote better, this book better than before that's all about mm-hmm. habit change. So I was talking to people about, I would also often ask people about New Year's resolutions as a way to get into their habits. And a certain number of people would give exactly the same answer. They would say, 
I would keep a resolution whenever it made sense to me, but I wouldn't do it on January 1st because January 1st is an arbitrary date. And that really struck me because I was like, well, the arbitrariness of January 1st never bothered me. Then there were people who would say like things like, well, why is it that busy parents like us can't take time for ourselves? And I would think, well, I'm a busy parent, but I don't have any trouble taking time for myself. And then there were some people who just, like when I talked about habits, like to me, the idea of habits is energizing and freeing. I love the idea of a life full of habits. But some people were repelled by the idea of habits. Like you could tell that the whole idea of trying to form habits was repugnant to them. And I was like, it's so weird. They see the world so differently from me. So all these things were sort of running through my head simultaneously. I had no idea how they fit together or if they were part of a pattern. And then one day I was just glancing down at my to-do list, which was like, you know, all messy, half things crossed off, half things that I still needed to do. And all of a sudden, this idea jumped out at me, expectations. And I realized that was at the core of all of these things. And once I saw, once I focused on expectations, and I saw that it was outer expectations and inner expectations, then everything started sliding into Mm -hmm. place. All these patterns began to fit together and make sense. And so... It was like I was pondering, 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 kind of wandering around my head for months. And then suddenly it just clicked when I thought of the word expectation. And there can only be four, right? Because there's only four permutations of expectations that are either motivated, stimulated internally or externally. Yes. It's sort of like inner, inner, outer, outer, inner, outer, outer, inner. Those are the four. (laughs) There can only be four because those are the four combinations. Did you wake up in the middle of the night and jump up and down or how did... (laughs) Well, you know, I was sitting there and and I well, and and part of it too was at first I was trying to make it into a, a two by two. And I couldn't get it to work out two by two because it's like, how do they fit together that way? When I realized it was a Venn diagram of the overlapping circles, that showed me how they all fit together because like they 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 touch each other. So you and I are both upholders. Well, upholders are like questioners in that we both resist, that we both um, meet inner expectations, mm-hmm. but upholders are also like obligers and that we also meet outer expectations. So it showed me the relationship of the four, how, how they really intersect with each other um, so that was another big breakthrough is when I realized it was a Venn diagram and a diamond shape of circles. It was like, like the visual. And then you, you constructed this test, this quiz. Yes. And how many people have I mean, I'm coming up now? on a million people. That's so crazy. Soon, yeah. Happiercast.com slash quiz yeah, if you want to take the quiz. Everybody should take it if you're, if you're not sure where you fall on this. And so you have this massive data set. Yeah. And I'm interested in, in you know, as you kind of um, dig into that, are most people some combination of the two, or mm. are there people that are just purely, you know, in one camp? Like, how mm. does that look and break down? Well, from my observation, people, almost everybody, really is within one core tendency. But like you say, you can kind of tip because you could be, like, say, my husband's a questioner. He's a questioner. Now, some questioners kind of tip to upholders because upholders and questioners both meet inner expectations, but. Some questioners tip toward rebel because, like rebels, they both mm-hmm. resist um, outer expectations, and so it depends. So your the flavor of your questionerness can take can change depending on whether you tipped one way or the other. So it's not that you're a mix, but you sort of are leaning in one direction. You're tipping towards a, uh, a an adjacent um, tendency, but I really do think that people fit within a core tendency. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And let's let's talk a little bit about the pros and cons mm. of each of these. I mean, to me, like if I take Rebel, or let's take 
questioner. Like, mm-hmm. it's kind of easy to discern the pros. I mean, to me, tell me if I'm wrong, but a questioner who's going to ask a lot of questions, that's good because yeah. they're, they want to make sure they're making the right decision yeah. and they're going to, that's going to be based on logic and what's best for them. Yeah. But questioners, I would imagine, can also end up in some form of paralysis mm-hmm. as a result of not being able, they can yeah. just keep asking questions. Yeah. Analysis and paralysis. That, like, allow that, you know, questions can be fear. Yeah. Right? Yeah. They're just afraid to move forward. As long as they keep asking questions, they have an excuse to not actually do anything. Yeah. Well, you see this in something like exercise where it's like, well, I have like, I don't know what the most efficient, the very best thing. So I'm going to do this yeah. exercise. Which shoe this. should I get? Yeah. Which yeah. Yeah. I, get, no. I feel these questions all the time. Which yeah. watch? What's yeah. the heart? You know, and it's like and they're and they're going to research that forever. And yes. days are going by where they could just yeah. go outside and at least go for a walk. So if you're a questioner who's dealing with this or, you, or you're or you're around a questioner, one of the things you can do is you can remind them at a certain point it's not efficient so you know because efficiency is such a deep core value for questioners remind them at some point it's better to just start exercising than to find like the mythical perfect form of exercise or it's better to just get a shoe you don't Mm -hmm. need to get the perfect shoe you can also do things like hit hit, um, set deadlines like i'm going to decide by friday like best guess by friday or i'm going to visit i'm going to go to these three stores where the people you you know um i'm going to look at this i'm going to look at these choices i'm not going to go every single place Mm -hmm. in the city or you could use go to a trusted authority. You could say like, okay, this person I know really uh, thinks things through, does their research. If something is good enough for this person, it's probably going to be good enough for me. I'm not going to just slavishly do what they say, but I'm going to be very guided by their judgment. I don't have to research this from the ground up. I can like take what they say and think about whether that's good enough for me. So, they, so there's ways to sort of intervene in this analysis paralysis once questioners realize that realize that they're experiencing it. Because sometimes they right. don't realize that they've fallen into this black hole of of why, 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 why. They but need- getting somebody like that to resp- respond to a boundary requires them to be responsive to external uh, external motivators, right? Well. What it what they're really responding to is their own inner sense of efficiency. You're like at a certain point, you're just that. like you know what, like you're just you haven't exercised in a year. Like you you've been researching it for a long time. Like you know you really need to start exercising. Right. So why don't you say that by the end of the week you're going to pick a shoe, you're going to pick a class, you're going to pick a mechanism. And, and also, what you can remind um, questioners tend to love to customize and they love to experiment on themselves. So you can say like, well, you know, this is the way people typically do it, but if that if you want to tweak it, tweak it the way you want. Or, um, you know, why don't you try it as an experiment and then you're going to learn something about yourself. Okay, try this form of training. If it doesn't work, then you can move on to something else, but you'll have learned something about yourself. These are the kinds of things that appeal to questioners and so they can, can get them moving past that starting point if they're getting stalled out. Interesting. Do you Did you do any probing into kind of the emotional underpinnings that create these archetypes, like the psychology behind it? Like, is it nurture? Is it nature? I think it's nature. Can these things be changed? Like, they're, they're just set in stone? I think that they're genetically hardwired. I think mm-hmm. we bring them into the world with us. I don't think they're a function of upbringing or, or, or culture or birth order or anything like that. Um, now, the question about whether you can change, I think what you can do is with time and experience and wisdom, you can learn how to harness the strengths of your tendency and then offset the weaknesses and limitations because all of these tendencies have strengths and weaknesses and they're the same. It's like the strength is the weakness. So you can figure out ways to kind of hack yourself so that you don't, you're not hobbled by the weaknesses of your tendency. I think it's very, it's, is it possible to change your inner nature? I mean, 
people dispute that. I mm-hmm. think if it is even possible, it's extremely difficult, but it's very easy to change your circumstances. So I'm like, don't worry about like trying to change your inner nature and trying to change your fundamental tendency. If that's even possible, it would be extremely difficult and take a long time. Take the simple, easy way and just figure out a way to deal with it. Like if you're a questioner and you're stalling out, don't try to turn yourself into a different tendency. Just say like, hey man, decide by Friday or, you know, um, I'm going to, I'm going to just, you know, here, my brother-in-law is like been doing this for years. Mm -hmm. I'm just going to do whatever my brother-in-law does and take it from there. Like I'll start, I'll try it that way. If it doesn't work, then I'll, then I'll, then I'll have learned something, but I just need to get myself going, you know, rather than trying to fundamentally change your, you know, relationship to the world. Right. Yeah. I think that's, I think that's right. And, you know, as I was you know, kind of absorbing these ideas, it, it made me reflect back on my own path. Like I've undergone a tremendous amount of change professionally, emotionally, like a lot of change in my life over mm-hmm. the last 10, 20 years. Um, but I didn't change my core fundamental nature. Right, right. But I think what I was doing, and I think this might be something that's common to a lot of people, is I was structuring my life in accordance with a tendency that was not my mm-hmm. core. You know what I mean? I, I, yes. I put myself in a situation that didn't allow me yes. to fully embody and express the positive aspects of that core nature and that tendency. But see, this is the most important thing. Like you put your finger right on the key thing, which is we all have to construct the life that's right for us. There is no one best way. There's no magic one size fits all solution because like what works for you isn't gonna be what works Mm -hmm. for me because you and I are different. And so we always have to begin, if we wanna be happier, healthier, more productive, more creative, it's like, okay, well, what kind of person are you? Where, Where do you thrive? What works for you? And not to try to jam ourselves into somebody else's conception of what we should be able to do or what is the best thing to do. It's like, it doesn't matter what works for somebody else or what you should be able to do. It's like, it only matters what works for you. And sometimes it makes me sad because people will say, well, I don't like being my tendency. And I'm like, all these tendencies have huge numbers of people in them. There's nothing wrong with you. You don't lack self-control or willpower. You don't need to change who you are. You just need to set things up in a different way. And then you'll get to be able to go wherever you want to go. It's yeah. like, you don't you don't need to change yourself. You I know? bet the rebels all like being rebels, though. Interesting. Some do, some don't. <laughs> really? Yes. Well, fr- rebels get frustrated because they can't make themselves do things. And so it's like, mm. if you have a rebel who like really like wants to be healthier, wants to eat better and exercise, they'll get frustrated because they'll be like, well, the minute I make a to-do list, I refuse to do it. The minute I say to myself, I'm not going to eat bread anymore, I go out and buy a, a loaf of sourdough bread. The minute I promise myself that I'm going to train for the marathon, I like refuse to get off the couch. Um, these, This is something that many- a natural resistance to any kind of rules or boundaries. Yes. And so even they- Even when self-imposed. Even when self-imposed. They don't want to impose, but so they, so there are ways to harness the tremendous powers of the rebel tendency, but they have to do it in a rebel way. Um, they can't try to impose those rules on them. You know, you need accountability. You need to put it on the calendar. And then no, 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 no those way. don't work for rebels. Don't do that. Don't don't let people try to convince you that you should try these tools. If they work, now rebels can do anything they they want to do. If you like to do that, some rebels do like to do lists. Some rebels do like to, you know, go to classes. If you like to do it, then do it. But if it doesn't work for you, like, okay, there's a lot of things that rebels have come up with to get themselves to that same place. You don't have to feel bad about yourself. You just have to figure out how to work with yourself. And the positive side of that is there's a lot of spontaneous mm-hmm. creative energy. And, mm-hmm. you know, these are, these are world-changing 
kind of people, right? Because they do tend to see the world a little bit differently, I would imagine, or just they're they're less afraid to try different things or just push the boundaries of whatever edges they're, you know, they're bumping up against. I don't want to suggest that they are more likely than the other tendencies to be creative or world changing, because I don't think those things are at the core of a tendency. So being creative, like that's independent of your tendency. Being willing to buck convention is at the core of the rebel tendency. They're Mm -hmm. definitely more likely to be willing to buck convention because they don't care about inner or outer expectations. That's going to allow you to buck convention, to ignore it or even to enjoy flouting it. So they they absolutely will do that. But sometimes one of the things about the, the four tendencies is it's a very narrow aspect of your personality. So you and I are both upholders. We could line up 50 upholders. And depending on how ambitious we were, how considerate of other people's feelings we were, how adventurous we were, how um, how introverted or extroverted we were, how uh, you know uh, controlling we were, how neurotic we were, all these things would be very different. How intellectual we were. We would add up to completely different people, but as to how we meet expectations, we would be the same. So sometimes people are, are like to me, like, oh, the rebels are the creative, artistic, you know, and I'm like, no, because creative and artistic, those are different. They don't, they don't necessarily correlate to the tendencies, but it's going to, it's going to color the way these things are expressed. It's going to come out in a way that's, that takes on a flavor of the tendency, but it's not like, oh, upholders lack creativity because they're rule bound. It's like, no, there's yeah, a lot of creative it. people yeah, who are yeah, upholders. Yeah, yeah. yeah, interesting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And 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 this idea that the strength is also the weakness. Like yes. these things can't be parsed. From, it's not like you have strengths on this side and weakness. These things are the same thing. Exactly, yeah. and that's what a lot of people don't understand. It's like, oh yeah, I meet internet outer expectations, and therefore I'm also can seem rigid, and um, you know, inflexible because those that's like the t- two sides of the same coin. And just like you were saying with questioners, questioners, it's great that they ask so many questions. It can also drain and overwhelm people that they ask so many mm-hmm. questions. Um, rebel, it's great that they that they flout convention, but it's also hard to work with somebody who will resist if you ask or tell them to do something. The upside is the downside. The strength is the weakness. It just depends on sort of what the context is. We got to talk about obligers, though. That's yes, the biggest group. The biggest group. Oh, the, the obligers are the rock of the world. Um, they're type O, but they are the universal. They they pair up the best with the other three tendencies. You either are an obliger, or you have many obligers in your life. Um, and here's the key thing for obligers. This is like if there's anything in the four tendencies book that I think has like been the most helpful to the most people. Here it is. If you are dealing with yourself or someone else who's an obliger, who's struggling to meet an inner expectation, which by definition you are, that is the definition of an obliger. The answer, the solution, the very, very easy fix is outer accountability. If you wanna meet an inner expectation, you must create a form of outer accountability Mm -hmm. to do it. If you wanna read a book, join a book group. If you wanna go running, uh, or you want to exercise, You would, like my friend on the track team, what would I say to her about how she could exercise? I would say, take a class where, they, where the, the instructor takes attendance or sign up um, with a trainer or work out with a friend who's going to be annoyed if you don't show up. Or think about how disappointed your dog's going to be if he doesn't get to go for his daily run. Or you know, say that you're going to run for a 5K for a charity that's going to make less money if you don't follow through with it. Mm-hmm. Think of your, your duty to be a role model for other people in your family. I'm going to model good behavior, healthy, healthy behavior. I'm going to keep my promises to myself. I'm going to show you me doing that. These are all forms of outer accountability. And there's a million ways to build in outer accountability once you realize that that's what you need. 
a lot of times, sometimes obligers sort of instinctively realize like, ooh, if I'm going to do this, I need, you know, if I'm going to study for the SAT, I need to take a class. But sometimes they don't realize that that's what they need. And so then it's a huge revelation to realize, eh, you just plug in outer accountability and then you can do whatever you want. Yeah. So for the obliger, the quality of your environment becomes paramount. Whereas somebody who is internally motivated, what that kind of what your surroundings are become less instructive in terms of what your behavior looks like. Right. Is that yes. correct? So yes. so so I would think that for the obliger, they're people that not only yeah, they gotta breed community, they have to breed accountability for sure. Accountability. And yeah. and those things have to be there has to be an emphasis or a priority on making both of those two things convenient so that they're yeah. the easy arm's length choice. Yeah. Well, it's interesting that you mentioned community because one of the things I've heard from a lot of obligers is, oh, well, what happens if you're a very introverted obliger and you don't like the idea of going to an exercise class or you don't want to go to Weight Watchers because you don't like the idea of, it's not that you ma- you, you you dislike the <laughs> accountability. It's the just like introverted you yeah, obliger. Yeah, no, it's a, bi- it's a big issue. And so yeah. there's, but there's a lot of solutions for that. Like I have this app, the Better app, where, you know, better, mm-hmm. if you search for Better Gretchen Rubin and you can form an ap- accountability group. And a lot of people like, a lot of people Prefer the face to face, but it's more inconvenient and it takes more time. It's more, it's very powerful. But some people don't like face to face, and so if you do it in an app, then it gives you a little bit more distance. Or you might be able to try and 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 obligers vary dramatically on what they what makes them feel accountable. Some what some obligers can feel accountable is is to their future self. Like okay, today Rich doesn't want to do this, but future Rich is going to be very disappointed if now Rich doesn't do it. So you have to do it for future Rich. I've been amazed by for how many obligers this works, the future self. To me, I'm like, that seems very advanced. Yeah, but that's it's, bizarre. It's also like a weird Trojan horse to bring internal motivation and kind of like yes, recostume that. No, no, no. I mean, motivation. I'm like, how does this work as outer motivation? Yeah. Because it's really just an inner expectation, like, yeah, like in, in a costume. But for a lot of people, it works. And so I think one of the things for, and one of the things I try to do in the book, The Four Tendencies, is to give lots and lots and lots of examples because it's definitely true that for some obligers, certain a running a running club would be great, but for many it wouldn't work for whatever reason. Mm-hmm. And so you have to think like again, what kind of person are you? If you're a very introverted person, the idea of going to meet eight other people and talking about something is going to be a real turnoff to you, wholly apart whatever from whatever the the behavior is. So you need to think about okay, well that's okay. You know, given that that's who I am, how do I work with myself um, to get that outer accountability? Because there's a lot of ways to do it once you realize that's what you need. Right. And so, what is the what is the strength of the obliger? I mean, they're the rock of the world. They're the ones who come through. Um, every, you know, they're ex- they're extremely great team members. Um, right, they, they, can, they show they, up for everyone else. Yeah, right? and they can be visionary leaders. I mean, sometimes pe- somebody asks me like, "Oh, I don't want my son to be an obliger. I want him to be a leader." I'm like. That's a false choice. Many obligers are great leaders. They, they they feel compelled to lead because of feeling an obligation to others. And like, I need to do this for my people. Or I need to, you know, I need to do this. Um, I need to help others. So they can be very powerful leaders. Um, but the, here's something that can come out of that. Um, so when obligers, because obligers are often so valuable and so helpful, they can be taken advantage of. They can be exploited. They can be. They can fail to be heard. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes expectations just become too pressing on them because they they do feel that weight of outer expectation um, very keenly. 
they can suffer from obliger rebellion. And this is when an obliger will meet, 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 meet an expectation, and then suddenly they snap, and they're like, this I won't do. And sometimes it's small and symbolic, but sometimes it's very destructive. I just got an email this morning from somebody saying, I had a friend for like 17 years. She was just very, very demanding and needy. And one day I was like, I'm done with you. And I haven't spoken to her since. And that, that's obliger rebellion. It's like, it builds, it builds, it builds. And then suddenly there's this eruption. Often the obliger will say that they feel like they're acting out of character. Um, and it can be very destructive because the people around are like, why didn't you say anything? I, oh, right. It's all right. Oh, sorry lines. about that. Do you need to get that? No, it's, it's okay. It's just the, Don't worry no, about it's it. It's the main office. Um, <laughs> well, that's interesting. Yeah. I mean, I think what I hear in that is, I mean, that, that explosion yeah. comes from uh, a lack of self-care. Like when you're, when you're so focused on meeting the needs of others and mm. you're not attending okay. to your own self, right? So that's, that's out of whack. That's an important subtle distinction i would not say i would say that they are meeting outer expectations i i wouldn't say that they're like putting others in front of them so they're meeting outer expectations but they're not meeting inner expectations but you're right but it's It's, a boundary thing it is it absolutely is that is 100 percent correct and um and and the fact is obliger rebellion is meant to be a safeguard it's meant to be the emergency ripcord that gets an obliger out of a situation that's no longer sustainable. Like I can't take it anymore. So this is going to, I'm going to blow this up to preserve myself. So it's meant to save them from something that's become unsustainable, but it can sometimes be very destructive and it can, it can be, and others don't understand. They're like, well, if you didn't want to do it, why did you say you would? Mm -hmm. You know, that's what an upholder would say. Like, if you don't want to do it, don't do it. But like, why are you mad at me? You know, or like, why didn't you say something? This is something that's very puzzling to people who aren't obligers. Um, and it also, but sometimes obligers don't understand this outer accountability, inner accountability thing, and they think what's going on. They, they misconceive the situation, and they think that what's going on is that they are meeting, they are putting others first. This is a dangerous mistake, because it suggests that if I put others first, and I put myself last, if others' needs vanished and the expectations from others went away, then I would meet my own desires. So if I quit my demanding job, then I would be able to keep my New Year's resolutions. Mm-hmm. If I took early retirement, then I would have time for everything on my bucket list. But what I found is that doesn't happen. Well, life is never going to line up like that. Well, but it, sometimes it, people do this. They will do things like quit a job, thinking like, oh, I've always wanted to write a novel. If I quit my job, then I'll write my novel. It's like, no, you won't. Not if you're an obliger. Not if you don't have outer accountability. And so over and over, obligers have said to me i didn't understand because like i took early retirement mm-hmm. i gave i gave up money in order to make time for myself but i'm still not doing anything i'm like yeah because what you need is outer accountability built so if you want to write your novel it's like take a writing class or join a writer's group where everybody holds each other accountable or you know um you know say that you're going to write an e- say that you're going to write an ebook and tell people to sign up and so they're waiting for you so you have to write it in right. order to be able to give it to, give it to them because they're waiting for you like there's a million ways to create that outer accountability but sometimes obligers think well if other people didn't make demands on me then i would meet my demands on myself Mm-mm, it doesn't work like that Makes sense. It's hard to get crawl inside the brain of yes. somebody who has a tendency that is not your own. Though, it like I, I'm like, okay, I can kind of intellectually understand that, but like, I just see the world so fundamentally differently. Yes, 
Yes, I'm you know. so glad to hear you say that because it, it it really has been an exercise for me. And I've been fortunate because I've heard so many examples, like, you know, so many readers and listeners have told me their examples and their insights, and it's been so helpful. But as upholders, you know, the opposite for us is rebel. And it really took me a long time to feel like I understood how rebels see the world. But here's what I've learned. This is the super powerful thing that we can all learn from rebels is we're more free than we think. Way more free than we think. There's a lot of things we think we have to do. We don't have to do them. I mean, if I wanted to wear running shoes and yoga pants every day for the rest of my life, I could do that. Mm -hmm. There's no one who could stop me. And I probably wouldn't even really get in trouble. You You have a lot more freedom than you think. And so that's been very powerful for me to realize. I know that that uh, it's it's sort of unusual for an upholder to be with a rebel. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. My wife is a rebel. Interesting. <laughs> and, so how does it come out? Well, we've been together for almost twenty years. Uh huh. And we've worked it out. I mean, we've worked it. We're very aware that we're different in these regards. Like, I want structure. I need you know. I need personal accountability to myself. I need to have the schedule. The calendar has to be locked in. Like, yeah. I need to know what I'm doing. <laughs> <laughs> and I find freedom in that. Yes. Like I'm able to be creative and be more productive yeah. and, and feel good about the direction that I'm heading in and all those, when I have those things. Yeah. Julie, my wife, she doesn't forget it. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like that's, you know, she's a whirling dervish and, you know, she's all over the place and she's doing 10 things at once and she's a powerhouse and she's unbelievably, you know, capable in so many different ways. And, and I just remember when we first, got together, I was like, this is like a strange being from a different planet. Yes. Like, I don't even understand how this person <laughs> functions, you know, but I was fascinated by yeah. it. And, you know, there's yeah. a, there's a chemistry and all of that, yeah. that, that has, you know, that attracted us to each other. And I found that I've learned a lot mm-hmm. from observing ah. her and maybe that was fertilizer on my, you know, innate little dusting of, of rebel that I have within me, because it's exactly what you just said. It's like, oh, wait, like this rule that I've erected in front of me my whole life, yeah. that's actually like an illusion. Yes. Like I don't have to, it's, and so yes. I, I tiptoed, you know, in that direction a little bit to my benefit. Like I've learned a lot about myself and I, I, I think I've broadened my my perspective on my my capabilities by observing her and how she functions. And I think similarly, she's learned some structural habits from me. Uh-huh. But innately, we're you know, it's like all you have to do is look at our desk. You know, my, what my desk looks like versus uh, what her, you know, yeah. hers looks like, and it's yeah. it's very evident. Uh-huh. Um, but we found a way to make it to to make it work by respecting that in each other and not trying to change that in each other. Right. You know, well, I get frustrated. I'm like, she'll commit me to something. I'm. Like, Did you look at the calendar? She's like, yeah. No, I don't look at the. You know. Yes. <laughs> so. Yeah. Well, let me ask you this because I am fascinated by upholder rebel combinations because it is unusual. Do you? Is one of the ways that you manage it that you don't put very many expectations on each other? We definitely put expectations on each other. You do. But we've had to learn a language for communicating that in a way that it can be heard and received and processed Mm. without coming off like a judgment. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? I think that took took a lot of time. Like Mm -hmm. that took a lot of frustration on her part as much as mine. There's no right or wrong or better or worse here. Right. It's just understanding that we have fundamentally different operating systems. Right. Um, and you know, I can try to be like her and she can try to be like me, but it's 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 a square peg jamming into a round hole. Yeah. And so, 
you know, she does what she does and I do what I do, but we also come together and we, we create together in certain projects that we work on. Mm -hmm. And that's required, like, you know, she's learned to, she's learned to know, like, she can't just, you know, roll up on me and say, we got to talk about this now. Like, right. she has to say, <laughs> when you have time, yeah. or can you tell me yes. when you have a half an hour so that we can sit down and talk about that? And that's a learned behavior on her part. Uh -huh. And you know, similarly, I don't expect her to put every appointment in the calendar. Right. Like that's my job. You right. know? So we've we've kind of figured out what our roles are so that we can make it work as a cohesive whole. But I mean, I think you put your finger right on it, which is that it's about sort of recognizing that you're just coming from different places. And it's not that one person's right and one person's wrong and one person should change. It's just like, this is how you work. This is how I work. And if we want to work together, how do we figure out a way to do mm -hmm. that? Um, just sort of accepting that we have, that in many ways, this is a very positive combination. We're both gaining from learning from each other, but then there are certain things that have to be managed. You, it's not enough to just right. be like, well, obviously it's more efficient if everybody just writes everything down on the calendar. I don't know why you can't do that. Right. Like, well, that's a recipe this, for disaster. Right, it you know is. I mean? But I mean, how many people have had that conversation a yeah. hundred million times? You know? Yeah, it requires a little bit of awareness yeah. and, and consciousness and not just communication, but the right kind of communication and, and the right intention the right delivery, like, you know, there's a lot that gets packed into that so that you yes. can make it work. And it's just something that we've we've learned to be able to accommodate. I have a friend who's married to a rebel and she said, I finally realized that the less I ask for, the more I get. And I thought, wow, that's a lot of, mm. that's a lot of experience. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah. So she's the obliger. She's oh, an obliger. She's an obliger, gotcha. Married to a rebel. All right, so me as an upholder, like here's my thing very self-motivated mm -hmm. you know when i it, it takes me a long time to kind of inch up on a on a goal or a project mm -hmm. and it takes me a long time to um you know become immersed in that but once i'm in i'm mm -hmm. like all in and but, i don't need anybody to like yeah. motivate me i need none of that but see and that's you're pointing out something that's very typical of upholders which is they often they don't jump in to expect inner expectations because they know once they commit to it they will commit so often they will take their time and think like well do i really want to do this because once i say i'm in I'm in. Right. So they're very thoughtful about it often. They don't lightly do it. But if, I, I, I think it's sometimes procrastination. Mm. Or maybe I'm just ruminating on it. Like a perfect mm -hmm. example, I have a book deadline on Thursday. Oh my now gosh. I had like, I know, wow, that's big. I'm so happy to be out of the writing room right now. Oh I'm yeah, okay, to you. Like, <laughs> excellent. This is my big moment for yes. the day. But, uh, <laughs> I know the feeling. It's a second edition on a book I've already written. Oh, so okay. it's not like quite as crazy as turning yeah. in like, you know, a brand new book, but it's been a lot of work. But I've had like, nine months, I don't know, 10 months to do this. Uh -huh. And I just didn't, you know, I, I procrastinated. I didn't focus on it. I was focusing on other things. I, you know, I, I'm well aware that I can't multitask very well. And I was very invested in another thing that I was working on. And I set myself up for, you know, an insane couple weeks. And I've just been in the hole, round the clock. And it took me forever to like, maybe, you know, maybe I needed that external deadline as uh -huh. the motivator. But once I'm in, it's like there's you can't pull me away from my desk because I'm totally in right now but and so I did will not you, be disturbed. But did you know that you would meet the deadline? I mean, I think I I always have little fears like, oh, this is the time it's not going to happen. But you know, in my experience, I always I yeah. always meet them. Yeah, you know, I always yeah. meet them. So I there's knew so I think I knew that I would. I knew it was going to be a very immersive, intense you know, yeah. two week period or whatever. But yeah, but. Uh, I guess the greater point that I'm getting at is this distinction between okay, so I so I have this you know 
you know, strong internal motivator impulse. And, and I don't really need, you know, the external world to push me. And in fact, I find that annoying in mm-hmm. most cases, but I'm also, you know, when it comes to external, external, um, uh, I keep wanting to say motivation. It's not motivation. It's what, what's the word expectation, using? expectation, um, that, that I end up being a bit of a people pleaser and I'm not great about sending, setting boundaries around that. And that's where I get into trouble because I will commit or I'll make a commitment to somebody that even in my heart of hearts, I know I'm probably not going to be able to fulfill. Mm. And in, rather than being clear and just saying, look, I can't do that. Mm. Or, or as it notches up upon the arrival date of whatever that thing is to say, it's not going to happen. Mm-hmm. Like I, I just delay dealing with it and delay dealing mm-hmm. with it. And then it becomes a, a big problem and it mm-hmm. gets me into trouble with people. So can I make a suggestion? Yeah, okay. Yeah, please. This so, is why. Okay. Yeah. 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 <laughs> So always when you're, when, you, when you're struggling with something, try to harness the strengths of your tendency. So one of the things about upholders is that inner expectations can be met only if they're clearly articulated. And a lot of times when upholders get into trouble is when they haven't clearly articulated an inner expectation because outer expectations are often extremely clearly articulated. Like people are marching around saying what they want all the time. Um, but so if you feel like that's happening, you might say like, well, let me sit down and think about, well, what's really important to me? How do I really want to be spending my time? What are the expectations that I put on myself? Because the clearer that is, the more that will counterbalance outer expectations. I mean, and this is why like if you're the parent of a, either an obliger child or an upholder child, you want to help the child understand what are the inner expectations. So if it's an obliger child, you want to help them create outer accountability for it. But even for an upholder child, it's like, yeah, you might be happy that your child is just doing what you say and what the teacher says, but what does that child want for himself or herself? Mm-hmm. Help them understand, well, what is it that you like to do? What is it that you want to do? I get that you're doing what others want to do, but if you decide for yourself what you want to do, you're going to be able to do that. So let's take, let's make sure that you understand that. And that's just as true for adults. Once, if you really clearly have it in mind, you know, I need to have an hour to read novels every day. I just have to have that hour to myself. Once you make that decision, you can stick to it. Upholders are great at that, mm-hmm. but you have to have that thought. Because if you don't, it's not gonna just, it, it doesn't happen if it's not articulated. So, so really think in your mind, what do you want for yourself? Yeah, I mean, that's helpful, but I, th- I think we can't really have this conversation without talking about you know, the emotional scars that we all carry around and, and you know, what that landscape looks like because I have self-awareness that, you know, I have insecurities and I want people to like me. And mm-hmm. so that's why I, that motivates mm-hmm. that behavior mm-hmm. that gets me into trouble mm-hmm. because it's a lack of self-esteem in some regard mm-hmm. that, that remains, you know, where I still need to grow, right? right? Right, So unless you are willing to roll up your sleeves and get into that, yeah. that's gonna, that, that, that thing is gonna persist. No, that's exactly right. And you know, I was saying how earlier how you could have 50 upholders and they'd all be very different. And like one of the things where people are very different is anxiety, like how anxious are you? That makes a big difference. How much social anxiety do you have? How much, how important is it to you to fit in? Like somebody was saying to me like, well, obligers act that way because they want to fit in. I'm like, no, not all obligers want to fit in. A lot of obligers want to fit in. A lot of obligers don't really care about fitting in, but like that's an important part of your personality. Or like, do you feel, do you have insecurity? Do you have anxiety? That's going to play into your tendency. That's going to, exactly right. That's going to influence its expression because it's just part of who you are. You're right. And it's like, just thinking about your tendency isn't going to fix everything else about your personality because you have to think about all these things. You're exactly right. This kind of deep, 
broad self-knowledge is the great task of our lives because you're right you just like you have to you have to grapple with that yeah and and beyond the self-knowledge the actions that that you know are required to Mm -hmm. you know reconfigure how you're living so you know having self-awareness about your tendencies is one thing then you know creating structure in your life yes. that will serve the positive aspects of that and minimize the the, the negative you know outcomes is important yes but then it goes you know it's, it doesn't end it's yeah. like okay oh, it well, keeps going you know, yeah, yeah. So. <laughs> yeah there's no magic answer unfortunately it's like you still have to do the work to get right. there I'm also interested in how this works when you have somebody who is dealing with addiction. You know, I'm, mm. I'm, I'm in recovery for mm-hmm. a long time. That's yeah. a big part, you know, of, of my story and my struggle and all that kind of stuff. And it definitely influences, you know, a lot. It's the prism through which I, I yes. see the world. It informs everything, right? So if somebody, you know, regardless of whatever tendency, you know, whatever category of, of tendency someone might find themselves, if they're clouded, you know, if their perception is clouded by the haze of, of, mm-hmm. of addiction, whether to a behavior or substance or you know yeah. whatever it is, that's going to derail, you know, the yeah. the the predictability of their behavior. But I think often um, people can think about their tendency in thinking about how they might fight addiction if they're trying to sort of get out of it. So for like, let's say you're a rebel and let's say you're addicted to smoking, just to pick a very common thing. So rebels really value choice and freedom. That's, and they want to be true to their authentic self. That to them is their highest value. So if you say to a rebel, well, you, you promised me you'd quit smoking. You have to quit smoking. Look at all this research about why you should quit smoking. You're setting a bad example for our kids if you don't quit smoking. You, you, know, you have to quit smoking. It's like, I don't have to quit smoking. Right? You're igniting that spirit of resistance. But let's say, but let's say you're a rebel. You could say, you know... Do you want to be free from addiction? You're chained to nicotine. You know, the big tobacco companies have you right where they want you. You're pouring money into their pockets. You know, you go to an airport, you go to a restaurant, they're telling you where you can stand and where you can sit. You know, I don't know that somebody like you can quit smoking. You've been stuck so long. I don't know if you can get free. But I've seen you make big changes before. When you make up your mind to do something, I've seen you do some crazy stuff. If you ever decide you want to quit, I don't know. Maybe you could quit. It's like, okay, that's when like- When you know the button, the you know freedom. how to, you, yeah, yeah, it's like, you know what, which, how to push that button in that person. It's very targeted yes. messaging intended right. to provoke a very certain because particular kind of person. Because it's appealing to their, deep, to their deep sense of like who they want to be. So take questioner then. So questioners, you might be, because my father told me about how he quit smoking. He's a questioner, how he quit smoking many years ago. So. You might think with a questioner, oh, I'm gonna give them all this information about health. I mean, there's overwhelming research about why you should quit smoking for your health. But let's say that's not working, right? Okay, you're like, well, I'm giving them all this information. I'm telling them why it's important that they quit and, and yet they're oblivious to it. So try a, different, try a different argument. So when my father quit smoking, the way he did it was he figured out how much money he was spending on cigarettes. And then he figured out like over a month, over a year, how much would he save? And then if he invested it and he got a standard rate of return, how much money would he make? And every time he felt like quitting smoking, he ran the numbers and he was like, oh my gosh, it's so much money. I want the money. So then he quit because it was more efficient. Like it made more sense for him to have them. So he found a different way to tap into like sort of the the information, the research, um, you know, uh, that that aspect of questioning. 
And, you know, for an obliger, I have talked to people who have been addicted to so many things. And it's like, um, and I had, a, I had a friend who's a doctor and he worked with a very high risk population. And he said to me, you know, I've seen people quit stuff that I thought they could never quit. And they did it overnight. And I'm like, how? What's the secret? And he goes, you know, you can guess. What is it? And I was like, I don't know. What is it? He said, Pain. no, Pain. pregnant. Oh, pregnant, when people are pregnant. Pregnant. He so said it doesn't always work, yeah, but he said, I have seen people quit stuff that they swore to me that mm-hmm. they could not quit. Um, because they're like, I have, now I have to quit. You know, So yeah. it, not that that's always going to work for somebody, but it's like, that is something that like now someone else is completely involved in this. For some people, that's going to be enough, you know. And so I think I think you're absolutely right. Addiction is a terrible challenge. It's a huge challenge, but I think that thinking about the tendencies can sometimes suggest avenues, and it can also show you why certain messages aren't working. You know, if you keep saying to a rebel, "You have to, you have to, you have to," they're going to keep saying, "You're not the boss of me." You know, if you remind them, "Hey, you're a healthy, energetic, athletic person," like right aren't you you've always been that way like why now are you like this and they're like wait i am a healthy energetic athletic person who's always taking good care of my body what am i why this isn't who i really am yeah i think that that determining the appropriate strategy that is going to connect with that archetype is important but i think it's you definitely also have to understand i'm sure you do like that it that it transcends logic, like appealing to the logical, like what is the argument that's gonna trigger the logical response? Like addiction, the rules kind of go out the window, like logic doesn't necessarily apply because there is this, you know, this, this biological compulsion that's driven by, you know, a physical addiction to something in the case of substances. So sometimes it's trickier. I mean, for me, it was just, you know, I did just and I was I had to be in so much pain that there was just mm-hmm. nowhere else to go you mm-hmm. know and, I, and in mm-hmm. my experience that happens you know that's that's a common thing yeah you know yeah. it's it's more uncommon that someone wakes up and says I can't believe I'm spending all this money on this I'm done yeah. with it you know yeah. God bless him I yeah. wish that was me <laughs> well it's worth a try yeah worth no, a but, shot. It's, but it's I think like, what's it's great like about you can, what, yeah, yeah you what, know it's like you're right I mean sometimes you have to just get to that point right but it's it's nice to have something to try. Of course, yeah. no, I think it's really yeah. helpful and instructive to understand like, look, this line of questioning or your approach with this person or with yourself yeah. is not doing you any favors. Right. right, right, yeah. Well, part of it is I think people are like, well, this is what should work, so I'm just gonna keep doing it and doing it and doing it even if it doesn't work. And it's like, no, there's a, there's a lot of different ways that we yeah. can think about this. If something's not working, let's move on and try something else. Because you're right, maybe there's maybe nothing's going to work. Nothing's going to push that button until you get to that point. Hey, and some people never get to that point. Yeah, they never, they they never, you know. Um, and I think uh, it also like we're all addicts on some at some point on the spectrum to something. You know, we all have mm. obsessive tendencies, or com- even if they're muted and 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 really not that invasive in our life, like we all are sort of we kind of gravitate towards things we know aren't so good. Mm-hmm. Yeah, even if it's like and, World of Warcraft yeah, or, yeah. Yeah, whatever yeah, it is, yeah, right? Yeah, and, yeah. and like developing an awareness around Cable news. those things and saying, well, how can I use, <laughs> yeah. you know, my, you know, how can I think about my tendency to perhaps approach that thing that I know I should let go of, but I don't really yeah. want to because isn't it harmless and, right. you know, and the like. Well, I mean, the thing that you keep coming back to is self-awareness. And I really think that that's, that's absolutely correct. I think that that's where everything has to begin is like, 
what are you doing and why? Like, what are you doing? Like, are you spending hours and hours and hours a day watching cable news? Like, you need to know that. And then you can think about it. You know, you, it's who mindful. Who are you talking to specifically? <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, it's all about just sort of like self-awareness and mindfulness. And then, and then you can think about whether you would want your, if your life could be happier, healthier, more productive and more creative if you made changes. But if you're not even aware of what you're actually doing, which is super easy. Mm-hmm. Like I say this as somebody who's like the least mindful person in the world. It's very easy to really be very disconnected from who you are, what you want. Um, it's very easy to be led to who do you think you are? Who do other people want you to be? Who do you expect yourself to be? Who do you wish you were? Um, it's never, it's I, distracting. I think, yeah, I think it's never been easier to adopt that mindset because you know we are, it, it's very easy to live reactive to the world mm-hmm. around you, especially when yes. you have a phone that can entertain you yeah. and the prospect of being bored is now you know something of the past. We can constantly just ping, be ping-ponging off the stimuli that we're incessantly exposing ourselves to, whether it's through television or Netflix or billboards that we see when we're driving and of course ourselves, all these things, right? And all of these things move us away from, from you know, even thinking about pondering, let alone cultivating that sense of self-awareness. And that's the one thing that's keeping, I think, in my opinion, I'm interested in what you think, that's keeping people stuck. Like you have to start there before mm-hmm. you can then go, okay, mm-hmm. well, this is my tendency. Mm-hmm. Now what do I do about it? Right. Right. There right. has to be some base level of commitment to at least like trying to like probe yourself a little yeah. bit. Yeah. <laughs> right. Well, it's interesting because some people are very uneasy with the idea that there's like these four categories and that you sort of fit into a category and there's like a, there's a word attached to that. And I've heard people say that if you define yourself, you can find yourself. But I feel Those like, are rebels. Yeah, well, yeah. <laughs> but I think that vocabulary is helpful or like patterns are helpful in that they help illuminate hidden aspects of your nature or hidden patterns and like what's worked for you and what hasn't worked for you because it is hard to know ourselves because we are so distracted by all this stuff and so sometimes if you're like and then also it's easier to understand other people because you're like well I don't understand why somebody's behaving the way that they are. It doesn't make any sense to me. It's like, oh, well, maybe it makes sense to them because they fit into this large category of people. Um, So it's just sort of a shortcut of understanding, but it's not meant to circumvent the process of self-knowledge because like you say, um, it's very easy to be distracted from that, but in the end, it's it's just, it has to be grappled with. Of course. So do you walk around now like, trying to determine everybody that you encounter yes. in the elevator and <laughs> Starbucks, you know, is it, what kind yeah. of person is this? I do, or like, I'll be watching Game of Thrones and I'm like, I had a long conversation with my sister about like, what is Cersei's tendency? I don't think you can tell from the show, but some people you can really tell. Um, you know, like Stannis Baratheon is obviously uh-huh. an upholder. Yeah. Um, and so it's, yeah, so, and I'll be talking to people and I will often be like, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, like I'm getting a strong sense of what you are. Yeah, yeah, so that's fun for me. But or that like helps I'll read you a memoir. learn how to communicate with yeah. that person. Oh, 100%. And so I have a couple people that I work with who are rebels and um, I absolutely am always like, when you have the time and the inclination, if this works for you, this is why I think this might be a good idea, but totally up to you. And I've also, like um, with obligers, it's like I, as, a, as an upholder, I don't know if you've experienced this, but sometimes with upholders, because we readily resist outer and inner expectations if they conflict with what we wanna do, we're sometimes too demanding. Cause we're just like, well, if you don't wanna do it, just tell me, just push back. 
But obligers find it hard to push back. And I've learned like one of the things that I was doing, and it literally never crossed my mind. It, it wasn't like I had decided that this was okay. It never occurred to me to question whether it was okay, was to send work emails over the weekend. Mm-hmm. It just, I was just like, well, answer we answer over the weekend or not. It's I do to- that all the time. Oh, yeah, do whatever you want. Like, I don't care. Like, wait till Monday, do it on Saturday, whatever works for you. I don't care. But like, it's on my mind. I want to just like get it off my plate. Finally, I realized like, for an obliger, that feels like an expectation that has to be met. And if I'm spending a lot of emails to somebody who feels resentful, that's gonna, that could blow up. So what I learned to do was to use delay delivery. And when I know somebody is an obliger or when I'm not sure, I use delay delivery and have it go like 7 a.m. Monday morning. Because I didn't I don't, even know there was such a thing. I didn't either until yeah. like six months ago. Yes, see, this is the thing because in a poultry, you're like, well, do it or don't do it. It's up to you. You mm-hmm. set your, you set it for yourself. I do that all the but time. You, but that's not realistic. Like that is just not the way to work most effectively with other people. And it's really helped me to see how I wasn't setting up the situations um, to be a success. Now, one of the, my, my sister um, and I have a, a podcast, Happier with Gretchen Rubin, mm-hmm. and she's an obliger. And it's been really helpful for me to have her say to me, like, hey, that's not everyone's experience. Or, hey, you know, you, feel, you sound kind of like a killjoy when you say that. Or, hey, you're a little bit nuts, you know, because she's, she has a different perspective from me. Mm-hmm. And so that's one of the things that's fun about talking to her is I realized, like, okay, like this work email thing. Because I said to her, well, do you think this is like something that I really need to th- tackle? And she said, yes, absolutely. You you should use delay delivery. Don't yeah. send all these emails. Over there. It's like, well, okay. I'm going to start doing that. Yeah. It's very easy. Here's one more for you from something that I'm, I'm trying to work through myself is traditionally I've been kind of a lone wolf. Mm-hmm. Like I kind of, I like my solitary time. Mm-hmm. I you know, I, I like to write by myself. I like to go on long runs by myself. You know, like I like that. I like being alone and I like being self-reliant. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm in a position now where I've had to let go of a lot of that and mm-hmm. bring people in to help me in order mm-hmm. to continue to, you know, grow mm-hmm. what I'm doing. Um, and it's been good, but it's it's been bumpy because I'm it's uncomfortable for me. Yes, it's and, hard to and delegate. And this is only like increasing a little bit more. Yeah. And so it's, 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 it's causing me to have to confront that my, like I have to learn to let go of that a little bit. Like I can have boundaries and all that. That's all fine. But on some level, like I have to loosen up about this if I want to, you know, achieve my goals and and and, right. and grow what I'm doing to the extent that I think I'm capable of doing. Like, is that something that you have any? Yeah. Like, no, I know exactly yeah. know the feeling. So I think there's two things going on. One is that you have a high need for restorative solitude which I completely identify with because I need a tremendous amount of solitude myself. I need to have time by myself. So I would say to you, you need, it sounds like you have a high need for that. So you need to build that into your schedule. Like Mm -hmm. when are you getting that restorative solitude? The issue with working with other people is that upholders often are reluctant to delegate because they don't trust that other people will do as good a job as they would, which often they won't because upholders are really good at meeting (laughs) outer and inner expectations. So they are good at that, you know? And so part of it is learning to say to yourself, People might have different standards. People may let me down. Um, I can only control so much. I have to just trust that the people around me are gonna do their best. I have to create systems of accountability. I need to, maybe I need to answer more questions than I think is necessary. Maybe I need to give people freedom in the way that they execute. 
um, because of their tendency. But then in the end, remind yourself, if I want to meet these outer and inner expectations, I have to expand. And I've gone through this exactly. I know exactly what you're talking about. Because you're just like, in the end, isn't it just faster and easier if I do it for myself? Because mm-hmm. then I know it's done perfectly and I right. know that it'll get done on time. Because I, but it's like. And then you can just stay very small in your then little you room. Then you stay, exactly. Yeah. And so again, for upholders, it's like articulate that inner expectation. If I want to, if I want to grow, I have to allow others to help, which means that I have to delegate and I have to let others do work. And I yeah. can't do work. I can't, I can't do that work for them. And it's, it is very hard for upholders. And that's something that comes up in the workplace a lot with upholder bosses is they don't delegate sufficiently or they, they're, too much, they're too micromanaging. Mm-hmm. Um, so it is, but I think that the restorative solitude is related, but it could be separate. So you could be feeling maybe a little bit panicky because you feel like you're like, there's too many, there's all these people in your life. They're crowding out your time for yourself and they're also needing your trust. And that's a lot to go on. And at they're one also time. moving you forward. No, right? it's fantastic. So it's it's, it's like, necessary. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's imp- it's exciting. It's empowering. But there are the but you need to think about okay. Well, as I'm doing this, as I'm making this change, I have to think about how I'm going to think through what I need, both as part of my tendency, my upholder, and then other parts of my nature, which is like my need for my need for kind of contemplative solitude. Yeah, that's super helpful. I mean, I have I have been doing that and I have been, you know, trying to, you know, let go and do all that kind of stuff. And and I think part of it for me has also been um, like detaching a little bit more from expectations. Like, is it really that important yeah. that it be exactly oh. the way that oh. I would do it? You know what okay, I mean? Like, I this you, is not that important. Can you know I tell I mean? you? And the more I can like yes. remind myself of that, then it's cool. Can I tell you an exact example where I went through this very thing? Yes, okay. So I just did this gigantic blog redesign, um, which is like the, it is such a difficult, I don't know if you've done this, but it's a hugely difficult task. And it's complex. There's many, many people, at least with mine, I have this giant site that has like, you know, almost, you know, like a decade's worth of content. It's, there's lots of moving pieces. It's very, it's very um, complex. I've worked with the same team. Now this is the, the third time that I've worked with them. And I have absolute trust in them. So I think they're great. And when I have done redesigns in the past, I've spent a lot of time really thinking about every decision. Like, oh, well, what about this? And maybe this is like a little bit too small or a little bit too big, or maybe that's a little bit squished, or maybe I want to have this slightly different thing. And then I said to me, you know, this phrase that you hear, like, you're just rearranging deck chairs on the mm-hmm. Titanic. And I had to say to myself, let go, trust them. They're experts. I could spend hours and hours and hours, like, making tiny differences that will make, will make curling, no... Thing. The curling or, on this font is... Yeah, no, that is, I yeah. mean, you're reading my mind. Um, or I could just say, I'm going to trust to their expertise. I'm going to, like, take a big look at it, but I'm not going to drive myself crazy looking at every single decision because in the end, I need to move forward with bigger things and the, the type font, the, 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 the typeface on this, like, right, you like know, yeah, right. Yeah. Like, um, you just, it, it's like not a good use of your time and your energy. You need to like trust to others, let go of the need to like make everything exactly the way you would want it. Cause in the end you just get used to it anyway. I mean, and that's one of the things I've learned It's like a, most, a lot of things. Uh, this is one of my secrets of adulthood. Most decisions don't require extensive research. You don't have to think like everything doesn't ha- like they're thinking through and that's why they are who they are. They're thinking very carefully about all this stuff. Yeah. They're bringing way more expertise <laughs> to it than I am. Yeah. So then I'm weighing it at the last minute. I think that yellow is a little bit too acid. It's like, whatever, you know what I mean? 
move on. Um, uh-huh. So, but it's hard, right? It's hard because you well, know a, you could. intellectually understand it. Yeah, you know, yeah. And it's been yes. repeatedly reminded. You know, people saying, "Come on, man, this is what you got to do." You, yeah. you know, it's like, yeah. "Yeah, yeah, yeah, I know, I know, I know," and then yeah. I keep doing the same thing. Keep doing. So it, it's it's about like taking that and going, "Okay, well, how am I modifying my behavior? How am I going to handle yeah. this situation yeah. differently? How am I going to create a dynamic?" That I can let these people do the best yes. work and allow them to flourish and give them the space, but also give them the feedback and let go so I can focus on yeah. what's important. All well, and I stuff. think part of it is thinking like, well, what, what is it that only I can do? Mm-hmm. Like, what is yeah, my that's unique- that's what you should be doing. That's what I should be doing. But deciding whether that should be 12 point or 14 point, <laughs> like in the right good. sidebar, it's like somebody else I can trust. But that. you don't understand. Yeah, I know, see? You know? But, but it was like, I had to really mindfully say to myself, let, let them do their thing and I will like check it at a broad level. Um, but the things that are uniquely mine, I will spend hours and hours and hours like tight with the tiny, like my, how many times did I edit my book? A million bazillion times. I mean, I edited it's countless times, but that's something that only I can do. Only mm-hmm. I can write that book. Yeah. So it's fine for you. Yes. To yeah. That the is the right that. place. Right. Exactly. But you're right. It's hard when you're like, mm, maybe I should just do everything myself. And it's like, okay, that's not going to work. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so all of these, you know, everything that we've been talking about, developing self-awareness and, and getting a greater understanding of, of how these, you know, tendencies play out in our life and how we communicate with the people around us, lead us towards living more productively, um, more efficiently, hopefully uh, more consciously and more aware and and really where that road leads is to a life that is more satisfying, right? Yeah. And so we can't have this conversation without talking about happiness a little mm-hmm. bit. Oh, my so favorite how does subject. This, how does this play into the greater scheme of what we're all trying to you know, more express in our lives or experience? No, I mean, I think you're right. The reason that this stuff matters is like, is it gonna help you be right. happier, healthier, more productive and more creative? And um, but the, and the thing that's funny, ever since I wrote The Happiness Project, one of the things that really struck me is that often it's not that people don't know what would make them happier. They know perfectly well what would make them happier. They would be happier if they exercised. They would be happier if they spent more time with their friends. They would be happier if they got more sleep. They would be happier if they quit sugar. They would be happier if they went for a run in the park with their dog every morning, whatever it so the question is, why aren't they? And that's where the frustration comes in mm-hmm. because people will be like, well, I know that would make me happier and yet I'm not doing it. That's where the four tendencies can come into play. So if there's something that's frustrating you, um, if you're thinking, well, I would be happier if I did this, you know, if you're doing it already, well then great, it's working for you, fine. But if you're running into a, a, like a stumbling block, well, maybe the tendencies will help you figure out how you can overcome that. And how do you specifically define and think about happiness? Well, that's very interesting because, and I think you will identify with this as a former lawyer. So as a lawyer, I have fond memories of spending an entire semester arguing about the definition of contract. And if anything, the definition of happiness is more elusive. There are something like 15 or 17 academic definitions of happiness. And I, so I never define it. I'm like, whatever you think, it's like, as a lay person, like if you're a scientist doing research, you have to be very specific about what you mean. But I think for a lay person, if the term happiness is loose enough for, if you think of it's peace or contentment or bliss or joy or satisfaction, whatever it is for you, it's so for me, it's less about what is it to be happy? What is happiness is less important than how can you be happier? Mm-hmm. It's all about moving in the right direction in whatever that would be for you. 
because um, I think if you think to yourself, well, if I did this, would I be happier in a month? Would this make me happier? People have a very clear sense of that. But if you said, what is happiness? All of a sudden, everything becomes extremely confusing. But I think it's also worth pointing out that people are confused about what they think is going to make them happy. I mean, people think this, the new, the the promotion or the new car or the thing is going to serve that end, and it does for that, you know, for five minutes, and then they're they realize like they're still them, mm-hmm. right? So how do you think about that aspect of it? Well, you're pointing out something very important because what you want is not like momentary pleasure, but you want a lifetime of of, sad, of of happiness. And so it's sort of like, well, you could use your money to buy a new pair of boots or you could buy your money to buy um, a trip to France. Like what's, what's more likely to pay off? Um, well, probably the trip to France is gonna be more fun than just like another pair of shoes. Mm-hmm. Now, it's interesting because one of the things people talk about in the research a lot is this idea that experiences bring more happiness than objects. But the problem I think with that is that often the line between a possession and an experience is hard to draw. So for instance, is a camera uh, an experience or a possession? Is a dining room table an experience or a possession if having a dining room table means that you can have your friends over for dinner parties and you're like, oh my gosh, now I can do this. Is a dog a possession or an experience? You know, So sometimes it's hard to tell um, and it really depends. Like for you one person, contextualize that person's relationship with it to ex- understand that. I exactly. mean, an iPhone like, is an experience as much as it is, you know, depending upon your use yeah. and your relationship with that use. Ex- or even something as simple as like knives. Mm-hmm. If you bought a, let's say you bought a fancy set of knives. Well, for one person, it's just like kind of a trophy thing that they would have in their kitchen and they would never use. It's just like, oh, look, I have this fancy set of knives. Like, aren't I cool? But then for somebody who's like a real cook who cooks every day, excellent tools would make work a joy and they would use the that would be like the best money they ever spent because they're like oh my gosh i have this most amazing set of knives and i use them all the time and it's like i love cooking so much more so it's sort of like yeah do you do you have this fancy thing because you just want some fancy thing or is it does it actually make a difference to you because you really use it you know like yourself like your cell phone for most people it's like a major tool of their lives so it's an it's important um or i always think like your glasses you know because i'm like wear contact lenses all the time but when i was wearing glasses i'm like i wear them every single day all the time if there's mm-hmm. ever anything i'm going to spend money on it should be my glasses because they are literally i mean i wear them it's your freaking every face. single moment yeah. of every single day you know <laughs> um and now same thing with contact lenses i'm like uh, whatever uh-huh. contact lenses fit i will get because they just dominate my experience now could I buy it? So it makes, you know, so that's part of it is thinking about like, well, why are you, why are you making this decision? Is it meant to just be a, an empty signal to other people? Or is this something that's really going to be um, something that's going to change your own experience of the world? Yeah. That being said though, you're, you're, you know, you've written extensively about decluttering, yeah. uncluttering. So, you know, you're down with the minimalist vibe or the ethos you know that that lurks beneath that well but here's an interesting thing how people are different so some people are simplicity lovers and some people are abundance lovers so simplicity lovers like less they want to get they like clear shelves they like bare surfaces they don't like a lot of buzz they don't like a lot of profusion but abundance lovers they like stuff they like stuff on the walls they like choices they like collections they they Mm -hmm. like things around so i don't think that it's like minimalism brings happiness it's like well minimalism can bring happiness to you if that's what you like but for some people 
people. It's like they love having a bunch of stuff on the walls and like a bunch of stuff on the tables. And that to them feels creative and energizing. Um, but what I mean, clutter is, I think, is things that you don't use, you don't need and you don't love. So I think some people have a capacity to love and use and appreciate lots of things. And some people it's like, I just want nothing on my, I like, I have an empty shelf, which I'm like, I just love my empty shelf because I just want nothing on it. I don't have a very high tolerance for stuff and I don't appreciate stuff very much. But in a way, I think that my life is more cramped. And I, I, I do see that some people just, they appreciate the beauty of the world and the beauty of objects. And for them, having a table full of fernware would be beautiful and something that they right. would appreciate and love. Is that, are they, am I better than they are? Are they better than I am? It's just we're different. Mm -hmm. How do you think about where things like a sense of purpose <clears throat> yeah. and this idea that gets thrown around? You know that you know you should be living your life. You're, you're, you're living a life of passion. You should mm. be passionate about Ooh. what you do. Like, how do you? I feel like that's a lot. I feel like a lot of people get kind of overwhelmed by that idea mm -hmm. of fashion. Well, I think it's it, it can be sh almost shame provoking. Yes. Because it's like, yes. well, I don't feel yes. shame. like I'm supposed to be yes. passionate and like yes. I'm not. And so like I, I'm doing something wrong. Yes. You well, know? I almost feel like my own example um, reinforces that idea because I really am the example of somebody who like was just overwhelmed with an idea and was almost felt compelled to follow it beyond all reason. And it turned out great. So people are like, oh, see, you're proof that like a life, living a life of passion. But I'm like, I don't, I don't, I wouldn't say that that's always gonna work for everybody. Mm -hmm. You know, it, it's, it, it can make people feel like there's something wrong with them. But I think finding something that, 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 that gives your life a sense of personal meaning mm -hmm. and, and, and thus in turn infuses mm -hmm. it with a, a purposefulness is important. Mm -hmm. I think that's distinct from passion. Mm -hmm. um, yes. And I think everybody has the capacity to kind of figure out first steps with that. It's not like a lightning, you know, right. bolt kind of thing for most people at least. But but I think that is important. I think that is, you know, fundamentally an aspect of, of you know, trying to bring greater satisfaction into your life experience, would, well, you, would you think? Or? Well, when I was writing The Happiness Project, I was trying, instead of defining happiness, I was like, okay, what is, what is how do you think about having a happy life? Mm -hmm. what, what are the aspects of it? So the first two are obvious. So you wanna have more of feeling good. So you wanna have more love, more enthusiasm, more fun. And you wanna have less feeling bad. So you want less boredom, less anger, less guilt, less remorse. So you want more of the things that make you feel good, you want less of the things that make you feel bad. Then the next two are a little bit more complicated. One, so you want feeling good, feeling bad, and feeling right. So feeling right is feeling like your life is in accordance with your values. And the thing is, feeling right doesn't always make you feel good. So like, it might be a tremendous pain for you to do the recycling, and you're like, every single time I deal with my recycling, it's a tremendous pain. It does not make me feel good, but it makes me feel right, because it's a way of living in accordance with my values. Or like one of the things that they often say in the happiness research is they point out the fact that, which is very true, that a long commute, you know, you're a guy who lives in LA, a long commute is something that makes people unhappy every single day. You don't adjust to it. It's a real burden on happiness. So their answer is live closer to your job so you don't have a long commute. But the fact is most people have a long commute because like maybe they want their children to be in a certain school district or they want their mm -hmm. children to like have a big yard to play in. So it's not like they don't realize it. They're just deciding like in order to be a certain kind of parent, I choose to do something to feel right even though it's not gonna make me feel good. So there's feeling good, feeling, uh, feeling good, feeling bad and feeling right in an atmosphere of growth. And this is the idea that we're happier when 
we're growing. When we're learning something, when we're teaching something, when we're making something better, when we're helping someone, when somehow in some aspect of our life, we're making a positive change in the world, whether with ourselves, like, oh, I'm gonna, I'm gonna get back into playing the cello as an adult, or I'm gonna volunteer at this nonprofit and help them like figure out how to balance their books, or I'm gonna, you know, um, clean my closet. I mean, whatever that atmosphere of growth can be small and it can be huge. But I think if you don't have an aspect of growth in your life, you can feel very stagnant. Um, and like creativity brings a feeling of growth. Volunteering brings a feeling of growth. Um, you know, doing things where you feel like you're helping the world. Um, bring, the, and I think if you think about those four aspects, um, they don't always make you feel good. They don't always, you're not always like skipping down the street because of these things. No, it can be a pain in the ass. Yes. But no, like yeah, learning to do yeah. something new can make you feel dumb, mm. resentful, uh, insecure, incompetent. It's like, it's hard. Um, but that's where you get the feeling of growth. And ultimately the feeling of growth is what is, 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 a, is, an, is a big element of happiness. Yeah. yeah. So I think all these things fit together. There's something magical about stepping outside your own little world and, mm -hmm. and, and investing yourself in, in the well-being of others that mm -hmm. are that are less fortunate that that really can just change your not only your perspective but you know how you feel about yourself and your mm -hmm. place in the world and you know for me that didn't come easy or natural it's not a default state but mm -hmm. you know I've, I've learned to embrace that and it's amazing like how much you know, I, I don't know, I just like, I'm just a happier person doing that, mm -hmm. more contented, a more fulfilled person mm -hmm. with a sense of direction and purpose that, you know, mm. I previously lacked. Mm -hmm. But I also like to go, you know, do crazy things like jump in the freezing water in the mm -hmm. Baltic Sea and do yeah. wild race, you know, it's like stuff yeah. that people, you know, would think, why are you doing that? And that makes me feel, it's difficult. Uh -huh. The preparation for doing it is difficult. The, the participation in doing it is difficult, but it, makes me feel alive mm -hmm. you know it gives me this deep sense of satisfaction and happiness mm -hmm. that i can't even articulate mm -hmm. i don't yeah, know why are that is but sort of two aspects of atmosphere of growth yeah. one outer directed and then one sort of like um challenging yourself pushing yourself mm -hmm. yeah i don't know well we got to wrap this up but i think you know a, a nice way to kind of um, bring it around and put a cap on it is to you know, perhaps leave the listener with with a little, um, you know, for somebody who's listening who who does feel stuck and mm. and they're struggling and you know maybe they don't know what their tendency is, mm -hmm. but they will soon because they're going to take the quiz. <laughs> yeah. Um, but but they they just have this sense of paralysis or an incapacity to create inertia in a new direction. Um, you know, what is the, you know, what is the what is the thing that you say to that person to kind of help them, uh. maybe shake up how they're perceiving themselves and and get moving well don't accept what other people tell you should work for you if you're trying something and it's not working or if you feel stuck don't assume that it's your that it's because you there's something wrong with you you lack self-control you lack willpower you don't you are insecure you have no self-esteem you can't put yourself first all these things just, just think, let me just think about myself. When have I succeeded in the past? What feels right to me? No matter what other people are telling me I should do, what feels right for me? Because a lot of times that's, that's what gets people unstuck is when they, they stop trying to do something that's not suited to them and they try something else. Because there's no one right way. There's no magic solution. There's no 
BuzzFeed list of right. the, you know. The listicle. Yeah, you know, I'm like, it just depends. I think most people it don't depends. even know. But so many people don't even know. You know, they're like, I don't know what I, I don't know. Yeah. You know, that, that back to that disconnection. Yeah. Well, that's, I mean, that's what I do in all my writing is I try to sort of point out ways that you can think about yourself and to say, like, are you a morning person or a night person? Are you an abstainer or a moderator? Are you a simplicity lover or an abundance lover? You know, I mean, there's like a million ways that people are like each other and, and different from each other. And I think when people are stuck, it's like, I'm going to get up at 6 a.m. and go for a run every day. And every day I'm not going to do it. And every day I'm going to sleep through my snooze alarm. And every day I'm going to vow tomorrow I'm going to do it. And I'm like, maybe you're a night person. And actually, you should try running at 4 p.m. And you should try to sleep until 10 a.m. and not uh -huh. try to get up at 6 a.m. anyway. Because you're a night person. And that's largely genetically determined and a function of age. Like, And a lot of people are night people. So there's no reason that you should be getting up at 6 a.m., if right. you're at your most energetic later in the day, right, do right, it right. when it's right for you. You're not failing because there's something wrong with you. You're failing because somebody's tried to convince you that there's one right way to do this. And like, there's just, there's a lot of ways to do things. Mm -hmm. I think it's amazing that you were able to kind of figure out this crazy Rubik's cube <laughs> and come up with these, oh, you know, yeah. but here's the thing. Like I, I'm also left with this, like this, uh, this, I don't, what is the emotion? like coming to understand that there are these four tendencies and that like everybody can kind of fall into them almost makes me feel like, like it, it makes me feel like the human race is more like sort of rudimentary. Like mm. we all want to think we're original creations, mm -hmm. you know, I'm different. I mm -hmm. can't be, you know, I'm who I am and I can't be categorized by this. And then mm -hmm. to go, actually everybody pretty much falls into this category. <laughs> you know what I yeah, mean? Yeah. You're like, Oh, it's kind of a bummer. But yeah. it's also, I, there's freedom in that too. And yeah. it's so instructive, yeah. you know? Yeah, I know what you mean. It is kind of strange when you're like, well, there's four categories and everybody's in one of them. And people yeah. are like, there can't just be four. I'm like, well, there's a million ways that we're like each other and different from each other. But in this way, there really are these very dominant four patterns. Mm -hmm. But um, yeah, I know what you mean. Because in a lot of ways we're alike, but the differences are very important. And it's like thinking about that and what's alike, what's different. It's cool. a puzzle. Yeah. I think we did it. Thank you. Thank you. So fun to talk to you. Thanks How so much for having me on your show. Did we do okay? This is so fun. <laughs> I feel right, like good. we could talk all day long. No, it was awesome. Thank you so much, uh, Gretchen. Absolutely uh, delightful to talk to you. Um, definitely pick up the new book, The Four Tendencies. Check out all her books. You can find her at GretchenRubin.com and at GretchenRubin, uh, basically everywhere, right? Yep. Instagram, Twitter, yep. Facebook, all that kind of good yeah. stuff. And are you still touring around and, and you know, doing the book tour thing or what's going on yeah. right now? I've got the book tour going. Um, I did a recording of Happier um, with in here in Los Angeles, oh, which did? is fun. Uh -huh. Getting getting out of uh, that was the other thing two. I wanted to talk. We'll have to do it next time. But I wanted to talk to you about your podcast oh, experience. Yeah. So maybe you'll come back. And Excellent. Talk about yes, I'd love to. Um, but yeah, the 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 podcast for sure. It's the, the podcast is huge. It's fun. Yeah. It's been really great to yeah. see like you guys sailing in that. That's really awesome. Yeah, it's fun to you, do it with you my- You like doing it? Oh yeah, well it's fun to do it with my sister, Elizabeth Craft. Mm -hmm. so yeah. Yes, Happier with Gretchen Rubin for people who like to listen to their, get some happiness vibes through their podcasts. And I assume you have appearances coming up if yes. people want to come in and yes. check you out. Yeah, yeah. It's everything's on, on GretchenRubin.com. The, the brand new designed website. Yes, yes, yes. the appropriate uh, yeah. shade of yellow. Font size, yes. <laughs> you will appreciate the font size when you visit GretchenRubin.com. Cool. Um, 
all right that's it you guys thank you so much uh appreciate it come back and talk to me again sometime yes i would love to thanks gretchen peace How cool is Gretchen, right? I told you guys, she was amazing. That was packed with so much fascinating information. So definitely pick up her new book, The Four Tendencies. Check out her further writings at GretchenRubin.com. While you're there, please take that Four Tendencies quiz. I'll put the link up in the show notes to where you go exactly for that. I think you'll find it revelatory. Are you an upholder? Are you an obliger? Are you a rebel? Are you a questioner? How does this inform how you perceive your own reality and interact with other people. Also, go to youtube.com forward slash ritual. Check out the video that we made behind the scenes of this experience. I think you guys will enjoy that. And if you would like to support this show and my work, share it with your friends and on social media. Leave a review on iTunes. Hit that subscribe button on iTunes. Uh, and we have a Patreon for people who want to support my work financially. And thank you to everybody who has done that. If you would like to receive a free short weekly email from me, I send one out every Thursday. It's called roll call. It's basically a newsletter, five or six things I came across that I found informative or inspiring. Basically a couple articles, maybe a podcast I listened to, uh, a book I'm reading, that kind of stuff. No affiliate links. I'm not trying to sell you anything, just good stuff. Uh, If you are interested in that, you can sign up for it by just entering your email address and any of those email capture windows on my website. I want to thank everybody who helped put on the show today. Jason Camiola for audio engineering and production, for work on the show notes and the WordPress page. Sean Patterson for all his graphic wizardry and theme music, as always, by Analemma. Thanks for the love, you guys. See you back here soon. Have a great week. Peace, plants, and namaste. (laughs) Yeah.